And the message, as I told you last week, is entitled Pig Man. Pig Man. Now, there, there is a guy on television. He's on, I don't know what channel it is, one of those hunting channels. 605. <laughs> channel 605, and his name is Pig Man. I'm not preaching about him. Just for the record, I want everybody to realize that we're not preaching from Channel 605. Uh, But we are preaching about a uh, make-believe individual that I have created by the name of Pigman. Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 11, we're going to read through verse 20. And yes, that sounds like an awful lot of scripture, but... Let me be honest with you, in this day and age, we need an awful lot of Scripture. So let's not get too terribly worked up over the fact that I have got a lot of Scripture this morning. But Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20 are all a single story. We're going to pick it up in chapter chapter 5, but verse 11. And as soon as I start reading, if you haven't already figured this out, you know what this story is. Verse 11, a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind. And they were afraid. They were afraid. I'm going to stop here just for that long and ask you this question. If you were an individual speaking now from a retrospective perspective, wow, there was a lot of pectives in there and stuff in there. A retrospective perspective, looking back and knowing what you know about this story. In your town... There was a man similar to the man who had been delivered from the legion of demons. And you saw him sane, clothed, and seated calmly at someone's feet listening to them. Would you be afraid or would you be grateful? I think I got a grand total of three gratefuls. Out of this whole crowd, three people would be grateful. Franklin Woodall the most because he was loudest. (laughs) These people were afraid. They were afraid. Verse 16, those who had seen it. Now these are the same those that were up in verse 14. 
those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. And here in verse 17, the people that were afraid now make a move. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. The fearful people are now looking at Jesus pleading with him, please just leave. Will you please leave? 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, so what did Jesus do as a result of their request? Because now he's getting into the boat. They're scared. They've asked him to leave. Now Jesus is getting into the boat. What did Jesus do as a result of their request? He left. As Jesus was getting into the boat, The man who had been demon-possessed begged, begged to go with him. If I can see, if I can say, make one little observation here. Jesus leaving, the demoniac now sane, begging to go with him, is a scene in microcosm of what it's going to be like when we see Jesus. That's what it's going to be like. Verse 19, Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you And how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and listened to what he did. He grabbed a Dr. Pepper, sat down in front of ESPN, and wasted his life. Right? That's what he did. He grabbed a controller and began to play video games. Better yet, he spent endless hours photographing his food and telling everybody what restaurant he was on on social media. Right? Welcome to modern Christendom. Welcome to modern Christendom. Go home. Go home. Tell your family how much the Lord has done for you. And how He has had mercy on you. How many of you today can say beyond a shadow of a doubt God has had So maybe then 
we can learn a lesson from a formerly possessed man. If God has had mercy on us, maybe we can learn something from the single most outcast individual quite possibly the world has ever seen. What lesson? So the man went away and began to tell. Jesus said, tell your family. He told the entire ten city region. That's what it says. And began to tell the Decapolis. Decapolis means ten cities. Deca meaning ten. The latter half of that word meaning city. How much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. What could we possibly learn from this passage of Scripture that hasn't already been preached and taught to death? How many of you have heard this passage of Scripture in any form, in its entirety or whatever, preached at least five times in your Christianity? At least that many times. What else can be taken from this passage of Scripture that hasn't already been um, leached away from its contents. Well, let's begin with a single question. And I want you to ponder what I'm about to ask you. Uh, What do you typically think of or associate with the word provision? Ponder that. When you think about the word in in the middle of your Christianity, when you think about the word provision what do you associate that with who has an image or a concept in their mind raise your hand those of you who don't you're cowards raise your hand anyway i'm not calling on you provision correct me if i'm wrong and i don't think that i am is typically associated with the meaning of some need in our lives by God in what appears to be a supernatural way. When we apply the word provision to our Christianity, I think that pretty much summarizes what we think. It's where some emergency, some situation, something arises or has been arising for some time, some need of some sorts occurs, and God meets that need from a source that we normally wouldn't expect, and in a way that we never saw coming. Can anybody align with that idea? Okay. In this passage, we're going to see something that many of you quite possibly have already seen. I don't know that, but we're going to look at it and see in this passage how provision snuck in the back door in a way that nobody at this time but Jesus saw coming. He was the delivery agent after all. This passage right here, the demoniac demoniac of Gadara, this passage is the stuff of legend. 
let's be honest, this one's been around the block more times than can be counted. As a matter of fact, it has its own little groove worn in the block as it's gone around so many times. It's been taught and told from the flannel graph to the DVD curriculum, from the obscure country congregation to the multi-campus megachurch, this story has been told. And it's because this story is so well known, so often taught, that we tend to view it and stories like this one, and let's be honest, the Bible is littered with stories like this, epic stories. We tend to view it very one-dimensionally. We see them, stories like this one, through very very narrow lenses. In this case, the lens of the glorious deliverance of a demon-possessed man by Jesus. That's when we read this story. That's what we take away. We walk away from there thinking, wow, what a freaky scenario for Jesus to take a boat ride, land on a shoreline, deliver some guy and turn around and leave. We think of it very one-dimensionally, but then we stop right there. That's where we tend to halt with respect to this and stories like it. Like that's actually the end of everything. That's the end of the story. This guy got delivered and sane now and sent. Then we walk away thinking, well, at least he got delivered. We focus on the delivered man because he's the central focus point or focal point of Christ's actions all the while overlooking something. We overlook the subtle nuances of what else Jesus was doing. Does anybody else see what else Jesus was doing there? Because he was definitely doing something outside of the scope of the demoniac. In reality, it's not the end when he sails off. It's not the end of that story at all. As a matter of fact, it's not even close. We're looking at only one side of this story, one facet, a singular dimension and nothing else. The side that gets all the press, the crazy demoniac guy. That's who we look at. That's what we think of. That's what we focus on, the deliverance of the demoniac. The side where a hopeless soul who is damned and lost has an unscheduled and unprecedented encounter with the God in shoe leather. And suddenly, gloriously, miraculously, his life is forever and ever and ever altered. I'm going to just throw a question out there that I do not expect an answer to at all, but you know you're going to, have, you're going to see this guy in heaven, right? Right? You know... He, you know, I don't know where this guy's going to live. I have no idea. I don't know what neighborhood he's going to be in. But, you know, you could snuggle right up next to him in your house. And, you know, I'm just saying. Now take that guy who's gloriously delivered, living in the same eternity you are. Let's freeze that. Who's the person in your life you least want to be around and, and love on and be with? Who is it? The least. 
because let me tell you something. That person, grumpy, mean, whoever they are, you know, they live in their own graveyard. And there are whole parts of them that are isolated and alone. There are entire swaths of their being that are screaming out at night because they're so alone. They are so alone. And here is public enemy number one going to be in a neighborhood near you for all of eternity and who's your person that you don't want to be around. You see, we try to control people. We try to take the people that we don't like the most and we chain them and we bind them just like the demoniac. And we chain them and we bind them by our forcing isolation on them, by our retraction of love to them, and we bind them in chains. And in their utter fury, they go elsewhere for that love and they break your chains and they destroy their own selves. They cut themselves and they scream out at night and they live in the tombs of what life is comprised of. If this guy right here, he's going to live in eternity, the same eternity that you're going to live in, I do pray. But will you leave your Gadarean demoniac behind? Will you leave your demoniac behind? Or will you show up on their shoreline Will you show up on the coastline of their life and will you love them despite who and what they are? Keep in mind, when Jesus showed up on the shoreline, that was not a friendly conversation as it started, was it? It was extremely combative. And no, this is not my sermon. It's not even close. It was anything but a cordial conversation. It was a legion of the demonic, understanding that they were outclassed, outgunned, overshadowed by the omnipotent in shoe leather, the shoe leather. They were forced to bow simply by the presence of the Son of God. They didn't have a choice. You see, here's the thing. We treat worship and the like as an option or a mood-based concept. When the absolute enemies of your soul know that in the presence of Jesus, they must bow. There is a pecking order. And when everything around you is a created thing, and you are the creator, listen to me very carefully, there is zero tolerance for non-humility. And when the demonic shows up in the presence of God, it bows. Even Lucifer had to wait in line in the book of Job. Remember? The sons of God presented themselves to God. And he was in there waiting, just like everybody else. took a number at the counter. And when his number came up, he got to talk to God. 
Does Jesus not tell us, and man, this is not my sermon. Does the Lord not tell us that we are the light of the world? How did you, a person born into darkness, born into sin, inherit, become the light of the world? It's because the same God that showed up on a Galilean shore one day and made a legion of demons bow in the wet, gritty sand of the Sea of Galilee before him and request permission not to be cast out of that region, that same God in shoe leather made you, converted you, transformed you, altered you, recreated you, changed you from the uttermost from darkness into light, and not just light like you're a good person, but light that illuminates the entire world. Who's your demoniac? I'm reading this book. It's by Bob Goff. Bob Goff is an absolute nut. He's just absolutely insane. He's hysterically funny. And he is just a stone-cold idiot. I'm sorry. He's just hilarious. The idiot, the way I use the word idiot. Funny, hilarious, nonsensical, great guy. He's wrote this book. The book's until, well, he's written more than that. But the book I'm reading is called Everybody Always. Everybody Always. And... I've actually had my wife purchase the study. Wow, this is so not... You guys aren't going to learn about Pigman today, sorry. Huh? Yeah, God... Thanks, man. He writes about everybody always, and he talks about how the love of God has become, despite God's greatest efforts, it has become selective. And we, we select who we choose to love and who we choose not to. And whatever our criteria is, we opt in and out of, think about what I'm about to tell you, we opt in and opt out of loving people into an eternity of life. I want you to ponder that thought for just a second. Think about the people that you interact with. Think about the people you don't interact with but you cross paths with. And now think about the ones that you try to avoid because they don't fill your need in one way or form, one shape or form. They don't meet your need as far as the person you're comfortable with. They don't meet your need in terms of the person that is, is someone who makes you feel comfortable in conversing with them. They're the person who is really 
makes things awkward in your life because interacting with them, get a load of this now, isn't easy or convenient. It's not comfortable. Think about those people. And now think about electing to not love them. Remember, you have to put that, that statement, rem- think about not loving them, in the framework that Jesus put you in. You are the light of the world. Okay, here's the deal. Jamil, you have some switches on your right side on the wall of the sound booth. Hit them all. Okay, this isn't working nearly as good as I'd hoped. Jim, grab the lights. Or, thanks you, Daryl. Mike, kill those. I need someone in there taking these out. Now look at how dim it is. Look at how dim it is. Do you realize that most people, I say most people, uh, many, 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 many people live in this world with nary even this available to them. But if we took this out, Chip, if you can hear me, turn these lights out. Someone run to the back. Well, hit those power strips, Trey. Now we're still going to have residual light because we've got light bleeding in from various entrances around here. Someone catch the back back of the stage too. Jamil, be ready. Do you realize that unless they're professing Jesus Christ, this is where the people you know live. Who's your demoniac? Who is the person you dislike the most? Who's the person that you avoid the most? Who's the person you you do your best to walk around to not have to greet who's the person in your life who lives like this who are they who lives like this and you have the answer Goff, Bob Goff, he he has a ministry. He, he's all kinds of things. He's a lawyer and he's a, an ambassador to countries. I believe it's in West Africa, etc., etc. It's just 
And he has an evangelistic effort over in Uganda. He came across a problem where he was running into some interference with the ministry. And when he asked, when he inquired, what's going on? What's the problem? What's the trouble? The people, the indigenous there would say, it's the witch doctors. It's the witch doctors. So he started meeting with the witch doctors in Uganda, and he said, what's the problem? And they gave him the problem. And come to find out, come to find out these guys were totally uneducated, weird, creepy people. Does anybody here know weird, creepy people? No, seriously. Do you know weird, creepy people? You know what was wrong with these weird, creepy people? Because they weren't educated, they couldn't read. You know what Bob Goff did? He opened a witch doctor school. I kid you not, it's actually a real thing. Not to teach people how to be witch doctors, to teach the witch doctors how to read and write. Do you know what that did? That opened them up to the Bible. So now he has friends who are really creepy, really creepy friends who are coming to know Jesus. And he's teaching them, and he's educating them, and he's elevating their lives. And these are witch doctors just like out of the Tarzan movies and stuff. You know, creepy people? That's what he's doing. And... He had a graduating class of witch doctors who learned how to read and write. He had a graduating class. And this is where they lived. See where you're at? This is where they lived. And he had a graduating class. And you know what the witch doctors were doing? They were stopping stopping committing all the sin. They were stopping all the stuff they were doing. They were getting saved. They were getting married. And they were having families. And it got to the point where literally the people that were the witch doctors were telling on people who were actually witch doctors coming in and doing bad things to people. Case in point, a new witch doctor came into the area and snatched a child out of a village and drugged that child into the woods. And they were going to perform a ritual on her and kill her. And you know, he got a phone call. You know who he got a phone call? Bob got a phone call from? He got a phone call from a graduate witch doctor who knew how to read and write and had come to know the Lord, still creepy as all get-outs. How many of you know just because you get saved don't make you not weird? Okay? There are lots of weird folk out there, and all your job is to get them saved. Let Jesus worry about weird. So this weird guy, this weird, creepy witch doctor guy who's now been educated through Bob's school calls him up and says, there's this guy who's come to town and he's a new witch doctor and he's dragged off a kid and he's going to go kill her. What do we do? Goff said, go get the kid. And so a bunch of witch doctors got together and went and saved a kid. You know why that happened? Everybody always. Everybody always. Because people live here, right here in this darkness. They live in the dark. Matthew, I believe it's Matthew, 
I've said this a thousand times in this church, the people of Zebulun and Naphtali seated in darkness saw great light. Jamil. And then they stopped living there and now they lived here. Everybody always, everybody always, everybody always, everybody always, everybody always. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son so that a handful of people might come to Him. That whosoever will Do you know God speaks to people out of isolation? He did to John on Patmos. He did to Moses on Sinai. He did to Abram. He did to Samuel. No help. He did to Saul, who was Paul. Isolation. But God never said when He left this world... Go ahead and go to church because I'm going to call everybody to your church. Everybody take a second and look around. If that's the case, God's a liar. Look around. As I've said before, and I'll say it again, Reese, this is not a build it and they will come field of dreams situation. It is not. Jesus said, look, I've done the work. I even said it. It is finished. And I died. Then I got up. And I descended. And I took the keys of death and hell. And I've got them. See? And because of all that, and because there isn't any power outside of me, none, zip, zero, zilch, nada, nothing outside of me. There is no power. And if there is power, it's because I've assigned it elsewhere. I've given it. That's the only reason anybody has power or authorities because I've decided to give it there. Doesn't matter if it lines up with what you think is Christian or victory or glory. Doesn't matter. It may look downright ugly, but I gave it. Make no mistake. Because I have a purpose. Which is back to pig man. No, I'm not preaching it because it's really late. I decide what happens. If you lose a herd of pigs, guess what? I have a reason. You might want to hang back and watch it because it's going to be really good. <laughs> You're just going to look. When I kill pigs, I do it on a big scale, and there's a reason. You might want to hang on. I have no idea where I was going with all that. You know, with all that said, I actually started with a thought. It's gone. Who's your demoniac? Who is the person in your life that you just don't want? I mean, you, they look bad. They smell bad. They, uh, or maybe it's just the opposite. They look really good, and they smell so good. And that's why you don't like them, because you don't either. You don't look good, and you don't smell good. 
You're saved, but remember, creepy people get saved. And it takes a while for creepy people to get the creep out. Guess what? Do you know why more creepy people aren't in the church? Not just this church, I'm saying the church. Do you know why creepy folk aren't in the church, by and large? Because we haven't figured something out. When you, I was thinking about this church just this morning. Not this church, another church. They went to that church. The Atkinsons used to attend there. Um, I want you to think about a church now that is, its membership is twice the size of the city in which you reside. Now, they're doing one of two things. They're either compromising where everybody wants to go there because they get away with everything, or they're doing it right. It's going to be one of the two. I want you to stop and think about why, why aren't all churches like that? We've forgotten something. We've totally slipped up on something that churches like that haven't. When we get pre- creepy people down to the altar... Have any of you ever been creepy? Just say yes. Okay. So some of you are creepy. Paul says it in Corinthians, as such as some some of you. That's what he said. That's creepy. Okay. We get them down here, and we get them saved. And because they cried, they're saved, right? All we have to do is get them down here to an altar, and a bunch of people swarm them and lay hands on them, and because they cried, they're saved. That's, wow, that's glorious. And then guess what we do? We do one of two things. We either walk away and we leave them right there. Or we expect them to look and smell and talk and act like us right now. How many of you can stand a church? I want you to ask yourself this very question. Very seriously. How many of you can stand a church where creepy people are here and they're still creepy? Until Jesus changes them. Do you know how long Jesus has been changing me? How many of you know the old song, children's song? He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. Creepy people are creepy until they're not. And when they're not, that's because Jesus did what he wanted, not what the church wanted them to do. This woman right here is our assistant youth director, her and her husband. She, let me tell you something, this woman right here, is obsessed with creepy people. She's absolutely obsessed with them. And I know that sounds funny, but it's not funny because the stuff that she sees five days a week during her job, she's surrounded by creepy people. And you know what she does about those creepy people? She makes sure that the light bill in the city on a hill is paid because that's who she is. Who's the person you just don't want to be around? Who's the person that you're more than likely willing to talk about with other people who believe like you who also don't want to be around that person for the same reasons? That's the person you need to love. That's the one you need to snuggle right up next to and break ice And when they are creepy, you still be light. Because that's that's who they are. That's okay. 
Do you think Jesus came down uh, to earth, God in flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, the divine incarnate to die for you the way you are right now? He said the, the, this, the well don't need a physician. It's the sick. So some of you said that you used to be creepy. That was what that whole thing was about. Jesus didn't come down to, to die for the cool and the acceptable. He came down to die for the creepy. And guess what? Our righteousness is creepy. The Bible says filthy rags. And filthy doesn't mean it's got dirt on it. It's far grosser than that. Far grosser than that. Such were some of you. But this, this time around, it's time that we actually become the light of the world and start not with the easy ones. hope this isn't offensive. This woman right here who has the wonderful parade wave, she's obsessed with creepy people. She's obsessed with creepy people. You know why? Because she's giving her life for creepy people. I'm going to say this and then I'm going to just shut up. Ha! Who believes that? Anyway, this isn't Christianity. Where you're at right now in this gathering, this isn't Christianity. This is a facet of our lifestyle. Christianity is being light in the darkness and altering the destiny of the lost. Who's your demoniac? Who is it? Target them with love and light and don't stop don't stop don't stop everybody always do you know do you know how easy this is I told you I was going to shut up I'm not going to go there because it doesn't matter it's just more of the same Stand with me. Father, we love you and we thank you and we glorify your name. We love you so much.